From KBOO in Portland, Oregon, this is Religion for Life, religionforlife.com. Religion for Life explores the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. I'm John Shuck. This is the first in the series of programs on the good book, the holy book, the Bible. What is the Bible? Who does the Bible belong to? How does one read the Bible? Why should people read the Bible in the first place? And what about the harm the Bible has done? Think of all the social ills done in its name. Discrimination against gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender persons because of, quote, what the Bible says, slavery, women's oppression, denial of science, bizarre theories such as creationism, all because of what people claim the Bible says or the Bible is. Well, we are going to tackle the Bible on Religion for Life. My next three guests are all scholars of the Bible. Harvey Cox, John Dominic Crossan, and Jennifer Bird have each recently published books about how to read the Bible and what the Bible is. My first guest is Harvey Cox. Dr. Cox is the Hollis Research Professor of Divinity at Harvard University, where he taught since 1965. His classic book, The Secular City, is widely regarded as one of the 20th century's most influential books of Protestant theology. He's also the author of The Future of Faith, and he was with me a couple of years ago on Religion for Life to talk about that book. He lives in Cambridge, Massachusetts. He's on the phone with me from Cambridge. Welcome back, Dr. Cox, to Religion for Life. Well, I'm very happy to be here, John. Thank you. Yeah, I just did an interview this morning with Dominic Crossan, and his latest book is also called How to Read the Bible. His is a bit of a longer title, but... Uh, I, 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 we, we were not uh, conspiring about that. I've known John for a long time, but, but uh, we haven't talked about that, about the title business. His title is a little longer, isn't it? How to Read the Bible and Still Be a Christian or something like that? Yeah, that's right. He talks about uh, the, uh, the violence within the text. And so I'm just oh, kind of yeah. wondering what's going on with the Bible that we need books on how to read it. <laughs> well, you know, the truth is, Many people, in fact, many thoughtful and very educated people, are a little puzzled about how to read the Bible. Uh, they may not admit it, but they feel rather uncomfortable. And I think what, what is forgotten often is that when you pick up the Bible, you don't just have a book in your hand. You have a library. That's what the word Bible means. It consists of, uh, depending on how you count them, 66, 63 different different books of a very wide variety of uh, genres. I mean, there's history, there's legend, there's parable, there's song, there's poetry, there's love love poetry. Uh, there's all of this. And uh, I think the first thing to keep in mind, if you're going to read the Bible, is what part of it are you reading and what kind of literature is it? you were reading, so you can read it with that uh, perspective, and not just try to uh, open it and read it. Uh, know what you're reading. Know something about what you're reading. And my book is, is designed to help people think about the Bible that way, and to be able to listen to it uh, more carefully, let's say, uh, from that point of view. Well, there are some, I suppose we could even start this discussion by saying how not to read the Bible. What, what are some ways in which we can read the Bible that is not so helpful? Well, I, I think just uh, 
Well, you know, the people who have a, have a problem they want to solve, and they sort of close their eyes, they open the Bible and put their finger on one verse, and think maybe that's going to be kind of like a a, a tarot card or something that will mm-hmm. help them. Uh, but that's a kind of a silly way. Most people don't do that. I think the other way is is to read it without reference to what kind of a what kind of a book within the Bible library. What kind of a book are you reading? Uh, when was it written? If you can find that out, to whom was it first written? Do we know anything about the purpose for which it was written? Uh, what impact has it made? Questions like that get you inside the Bible in a way that simply uh, reading it in this uh, uh, straightforward and uh, un, uh, uninformed way. Uh, do. And what happens, I think, if you do that, people fall back almost by default into a kind of a, into a, kind of a, uh, a literal reading of everything. Now, there's some things in the Bible I think are, should be read literally, uh, but there are other things that are obviously metaphorical or symbolic or parabolic or something like that, poetic. So uh, knowing what you're reading helps enhances, deepens your appreciation for the Bible. That's what my that's what I try to do with my book to make to help people be help them get more out of it than they would have if they were reading it in some other uh, uninformed way. Yeah, you can think of people reading it uh, you know to get uh, some kind of a history on how the universe was formed or, or things like that. We can so those are kind of obvious uh, misreadings of the Bible, but yeah. Yeah, and, and also just kind of reading it in a sense that, well, if it's in the Bible, it must be right. Um, that Or any anything that the Bible says about God must be true, and there's a, a need to defend uh, uh, the Bible or defend a reading of it. When, in fact, the Bible, uh, Marcus Borg said, sometimes we just have to recognize that the Bible is wrong on some things. Well, among, it's pretty hard to say what the Bible says about God is uh, true if, it says a number of different things about God, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, placed in different people's mouths, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it's not an utterly consistent uh, picture. Uh, that that's true, and uh, uh, it, it's uh, it. One has to know who, who is the writer here, and what is that writer trying to trying to tell us, and we recognize that the Bible, among other things is an ongoing debate. For, let me give an example here. I mean, the, the, the vision of the God that you get, for example, in Deuteronomy, uh, we, you obey me and I'll, I'll favor you. You obey me and I'll favor you, what we call the Deuteronomic uh, principle. Then a few pages later you come to Job, and Job completely throws out that idea. Uh, the idea, I mean, Job keep, keeps insisting, and God says eventually that Job was right. I didn't do all this stuff. I didn't do anything to deserve all this horrible stuff that's happened to me. And uh, and God says, well, my my uh, my servant has spoken rightly. Uh, the the and in the New Testament, there's a whole other view of God, which isn't sort of a tit for tat bargaining uh, arrangement. Uh, you do this, and I'll do that for you. Uh, it's um, a, a, a different view. So, or the I'm not saying that God has changed or evolved. I think people's understanding 
of God and how God operates with human beings has changed and has uh, and there are and and, and the, Bible, the those who put together the Bible the rabbis who put together what we call the Old Testament and then the church fathers were wise enough not to have only one particular perspective we have four gospels and not one and the four gospels largely uh, uh, on the essentials about the life of Jesus and his importance uh, for all of us uh, agree but they have some some decided uh, differences, some some rather substantive differences among them. Now we could have been we could we could have, could have found ourselves with something like in Christianity, like the Quran, a single voice from from beginning to end. We could we don't have that. We have a choir of uh, voices that speak to us, and and uh, now symphony. I would like to say. And uh, and it, knowing that uh, uh, enhances our appreciation for it. Well, you know, uh, my guest is uh, Harvey Cox. He's the author of How to Read the Bible, speaking with me uh, from uh, his, his home in Cambridge. And we're talking about his new book, How to Read the Bible. And, and of course, on the other side, there's a, uh, as we become more secular, the, the polls come out of the increasing number of those who select no religious preference at all. Uh, we get a lot of critiques of the Bible as it's an ancient text why are we even bothering with it anymore? So what is the case for reading the Bible at all? Well, yeah, um, it, 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 many things are ancient texts. I mean, Plato is, is an mm -hmm. ancient text, and Dante's in, uh, uh, Divine Comedy is pretty old. Shakespeare is four or 500 years old now. We don't discard things with as, because they're old. We discard them if they're no longer relevant. Mm -hmm. to the to life as it's lived and the bible touches on themes that are close to the heart of how we live our lives what is the meaning of suffering what's what is love about what does love require of us uh what is our purpose here on this little planet these are not questions that uh, go away they are still very very relevant questions and uh I always said, yes, I will say it. God help us if we start throwing out things because they're a little older. It's especially uh, uh, sensitive for me as I get older myself. <laughs> <laughs> I have some things to say, perhaps. So uh, uh, I don't think that's a valid argument. And, I, I, and uh, the, the, we, don't, we don't test the validity and power of a play or a piece of music or a piece of art because it's uh, older than another one. No, no, it's got another, we, we, we uh, have other ways of, of, of judging whether it's, uh, whether it's uh, relevant or not. Yeah, I wonder if one of, maybe the, another way of, of saying what I hear the critique is that uh, the Bible has been so controlled by the church and by faith that it, um, and, and, and it certainly has a, a secular appeal to people who may not uh, be religious at all. Oh, I think so, too. I mean, you can think of the Bible as a religious book, but in many ways the Bible has vast, long passages that are very critical of religion, or at least certain kinds and certain expressions of religion, as you know. I mean, Jesus was very critical of, of many of the practices of his day. All you have to do is read Amos or Jeremiah in the Old Testament, these Old Testament prophets who would rail against uh, certain aspects of of religion 
their, their own religion, not somebody else, not other people's too, in, in some cases, but their own religion. No, it's it's a it's a uh, it's an ongoing debate about the significance of religion. I would even say, if you read the Bible honestly and read it, and what the what some of its most uh, acute writers have to say, it can be read as a as a critique. Uh, of ways in which religion has been misused, misapplied, uh, mistaken uh, through the ages. It, it helps us to understand religion better. Uh, and I don't think the Bible is only for religious people. I think that narrows down the uh, audience entirely too much. I'd say it's for any human being who's sensitive to what it means uh, to be a human being. And you talk about how really it is in, in our bones as just people of Western culture, um, that, that we with that the Bible's within us whether we read it or not. Yes, we, we all have to read. That's true. Uh, it, it's found its way into our language, into our aphorisms, into our laws, into our culture, literature. Uh, it, it's, it's just everywhere. I, I think I wrote at one one point in the book, it's found its way into our synapses. Uh -huh. It's right, it's under the skin, and uh, under the skin of everybody. Uh, even if we uh, don't like the idea that it's under our skin, it's it's there. It's just part of who we are, and so not being familiar with it is just not an option for a thoughtful and mature uh, adult. In our time, it's like I don't want to know about myself. I don't want to know mm -hmm. about my history, my my civilization. And now, in a in a in a uh, in a global world where Christianity is is spreading all around the world, and where the other major religion is uh, Islam, which has vast parts of the Bible uh, incorporated within the Quran. Uh, not to know about these things is really not to know about yourself or not to care. I just think that's kind of irresponsible. You talk about three stages of reading, uh, narrative, historical, and spiritual. Can you describe those stages? Yeah, well, I, I, I put those in there because uh, there are stages that uh, most of us go through. I certainly went went through those stages. I mean, like like many people, I went to Sunday school as a kid and was really kind of uh, intrigued by all these wonderful stories and call them narratives in the Bible. I mean, everything, you know, Cain and Abel and, and Samson and Delilah and uh, and uh, all, all the rest down to the stories that Jesus told, the parables. I mean, it's just the, David and, and his uh, adventures. I just thought it was a great storybook. And it is a disgrace. It has lots of wonderful narratives in it. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but I also uh, approached it, as, as many people did, when we were young, youngsters, from a fairly uncritical uh, and uh, innocent, literal uh, perspective, which uh, is, there's nothing wrong with, 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 with that, except that it's, it's incomplete. It's, it narrows uh, your uh, appreciation for the Bible. And then, then later on in, in, in college, and then later when I went to seminary, I learned about the historical approach that I've been alluding to here, which is you take a particular book of the Bible, whether it's the book of Joshua or the book of Matthew or book of Isaiah, and you say, and you ask yourself, uh, when was this written? 
To whom was it written? Why was it written? What's it, what's it, uh, what's it trying to accomplish? And uh, it's, these are not things, John, that are so terribly hard to find out. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, many, many editions of the Bible, uh, for example, the uh, Harper, the, the, uh, uh, the uh, student edition of the Bible, but there are many others, have a, a little introduction to virtually each of the books in the Bible, uh, telling you exactly that. And if you don't have that kind of a Bible, you can pick it. You can even go to Google and find out. Mm-hmm. Get an essay, get an essay uh, a short essay on uh, answering those kinds of questions about the, the uh, book of Matthew or the, the epistle to the Romans or something and find out about that sort of thing. And then you know what's happening. Uh, and you uh, and you are you have a you have a um, a head start in being to, being able to appreciate the Bible, uh, but then I also in, uh, mention uh, in the book uh, another stage which I I have come into in the in the last oh years decades of my life uh, where I haven't left behind the narrative stage and I certainly haven't left behind the historical stage. But I've come to see that that, even combined, they're not enough. Hmm. Uh, uh, you have to listen to what the Bible is saying to you. I have to listen to what it's saying to me. Now, as uh, I'm a Christian, as a Christian, I believe that God can and does speak to us through the Bible. And if you listen carefully, you can hear what God is saying. I call this the spiritual stage which doesn't mean you've left behind the other two stages. No, no, appreciate the stories, the narratives. Know what it is you're reading, but then really listen for what the Bible is saying to you in your depths. Uh, and don't, don't just hold it at a distance and analyze it. Don't just think of it as stories. What is being said to me uh, to, or to us, to our country, to our society, to our age at this, at this point? And listen for that, or you're going to miss something, too. And that's what you talk about in your book about, for example, the civil rights movement and, and how the Bible uh, played into that as as a source of, of liberation and inspiration. Yeah, exactly. And I tell about an incident. I was once, uh, uh, many years ago, I was uh, uh, arrested or detained uh, when I was in a nonviolent demonstration and uh, with a group of young, uh, young black uh, kids, mainly youngsters, young adults, who and we were placed in a in a uh, prison. It was a very temporary stay in a jail and segregated. Uh, to, it was it was those days they even segregated the jails. And on Saturday afternoon, the warden came by the the um, uh, the cell where I was and some other white prisoners and said. Well, the colored kids over there, they want to have a Bible so they can have church on Sunday morning. Then he said, he sort of chuckled, and he said, you know, so I, I give him one. I give him one. Can't do no harm. Hmm. <laughs> well, can't do no harm. But the, why do you think they're in this jail? <laughs> it's because they've been hearing a preaching from that very Bible telling them that they were created by God, they have all the rights and rights of dignity of any other human being of whatever color, uh, and they they are really now he- reading and, and thinking about, especially the book of Exodus, uh, 
and God's deliverance of people from captivity and slavery into freedom. And that's what's inspired them to be doing what they're doing, this nonviolent demonstration. Uh, so in a way, it doesn't do any harm, but in another way, uh, don't, don't uh, uh, discard it so easily as having a, a cutting edge. Uh, and I think that's true about the Bible. We have to understand that it has really motivated people toward struggling for their freedoms and, and their dignity over many, many, many centuries. That's part of the spiritual significance. See, those, those, those young black kids didn't know anything about the historical uh, uh, <laughs> approach to the Bible. I, don't, I think they knew very little. But it also wasn't just a, a, a bunch of interesting stories. It was their story. It was the, it was it was a story they were that they saw as part of their ongoing story, which is what I, I hope readers will eventually get to as they read the the Bible. That it's it's it, it, what I'm reading here is my story. And you talk about also the importance of uh, uh, reading the Bible as, as liberation in the Latin American base communities, for example. That's a way in which uh, the Bible is also spiritual and liberating. Exactly. Uh, it's very similar to the civil rights movement. And people, people read it and saw it as, as depicting their situation, where they found themselves, especially in... Uh, at that point, they were reigned over by dictators and tyrannies, and and uh, this gave them the inspiration and the courage uh, to fight back against that, to uh, try to try to throw off these uh, uh, the, these uh, uh, the tyrants, which many of them have in, in in South America in the last years. No, and it does that all the time. It keeps coming back. The Bible it just doesn't won't go away as a as a book about uh, about human liberation. Remember that we don't even know the name of God as we read the Bible until we get to that early chapter in the book of Exodus where where Moses says to God, "Well, you want me to go down and, and lead these people out of captivity in Egypt?" Well, uh, well, who? Who shall I say sent me? Now, that's the first time, remember, it's very important, first time in the whole Bible that God tells a human being, this is what my name is. And he gives Moses the name. It's a very difficult name, I mean, you know, the, and the Hebrew for it is, is, hard, is hard to translate. But God is introducing himself, not just as the creator of the universe, but as the liberator of uh, oppressed and enslaved people, uh, the marginated people, people who are left out, people who are, are trampled. God is on their side. That's, the inner, that's how God introduces himself in the Bible. I, I can't think, I don't think the importance of that can be uh, minimized, should be minimized. If you're just joining us on Religion for Life, my guest is Harvey Cox. Uh, he is the author of How to Read the Bible. And I want to talk about a previous book because uh, there's something that you wrote there that I think might impact this one as well. Um, in your book, The Future of Faith, that we are moving beyond the age of belief. And Diana Butler Bass quoted you in her book, Christianity After Religion, and I thought it was a great quote. And, and I used it in one of my articles. And here, This is the quote from you. Uh, faith is resurgent while dogma is dying. The spiritual communal 
communal and justice-seeking dimensions of Christianity are now its leading edge. A religion based on subscribing to mandatory beliefs is no longer viable. And, uh, and then, so I'm wondering with that, what's the Bible when it is no longer about mandatory beliefs? When we free the Bible from dogma, uh, how might it speak to us in liberating ways? Oh, yeah, yeah, in a number of ways. I, 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 see, let me take a step back and say I think that Christianity made a very, very big mistake in about the 4th century when Constantine uh, made Christianity the religion of the Roman Empire and then insisted that being a Christian meant to uh, uh, give adherence to the creed that he had the bishops write up there at Nicaea. Mm-hmm. At Nicaea. Before that, for three centuries, Christianity had meant trying to be a disciple, trying to be a follower of Jesus, uh, and uh, trying, to, trying to do what he did, to leave, live as he lived. Then, after Constantine, it, it uh, was redefined, at least for many people, uh, as uh, the definition of being a Christian was to adhere to a certain kind of set of creedal uh, statements. And uh, I think we are now finally emerging from that Constantinian uh, deformation of Christianity uh, and into a, an era in which we're back, ironically, more like we were in those first three centuries. And being a Christian meant uh, what's, what Paul calls being a people of the way, a people of the way. That's the phrase he uses for the early Christians who were walking in a particular path or trying to. Now, what the Bible does is to give us an insight into the lives of a lot of people who tried to walk in the way of God. Uh, Sometimes they failed, failed miserably. They did things that were were, were not according to that way, how God dealt with them, how God often restored them. And, of course, we have, most importantly, uh, for uh, Christians, we have uh, uh, the depiction of the life of Jesus, his example, his healing, his teachings, his uh, uh, his uh, vision of what life should be be like. Uh, if we want to think of ourselves in some way as Christians, that's absolutely uh, indispensable to have that. Uh, if we didn't have it, we really wouldn't know what the path was going to be uh, or should be. I, I, I just mentioned that uh, for St. Paul, as you recall, he refers to early Christians as the people of the way, people of the way, people walking in a certain path, people trying to be followers, followers of, of Jesus, uh, and, and uh, doesn't, has very little emphasis or very little interest, really, in uh, anything, uh, in the idea of just adhering to particular statements doctrines about God or about Jesus. Yeah, it's about how to live one's life with integrity and justice, uh, or integrity and peace and justice and meaning. It's, uh, and and, and I, I find that um, to be uh, a part of what, what you're saying here in terms of, of reading the Bible. It's uh, not about believing stuff, but really about how we live. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's that's uh, well put, John. You ought to write a book yourself. <laughs> well, yeah. Hey, Harvey Cox has been my guest on Religion for Life. He's the author of How to Read the Bible. Pick it up. It's a great book. Thank you for that. And uh, thank you for spending time with me today on Religion for Life. I enjoyed being with you, John. 
You've been listening to Religion for Life at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. For information about upcoming shows and to hear or download podcasts, including the podcast of this program you just heard, go to religionforlife.com. That is religionforlife.com. Follow Religion for Life on Twitter. Like us on Facebook, hear us on iTunes. Religion for Life is heard on KZUM, Lincoln, Nebraska, WEHC, Emory, Virginia, WETS, Johnson City, Tennessee, and Religion for Life is produced by KBOO Portland. Be well. Be well.